It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme, I'd love your thoughts on the Rose of Tralee competition, which came to an end last night. Uh, was the rose that was selected? Was it your choice? Seems to have been a very, very popular choice. And today, obviously, all of the papers, many of them front page uh, photographs of the Westmeath Rose as she was crowned the Rose of Tralee last night. Uh, lovely, lovely young girl by the name of Rachel uh, Duffy. And she was selected from the 33 uh, roses in Tralee uh, last night. Now, I have to say, I missed Rachel on stage because both nights just went on too long. I had to be had to be in bed. I couldn't be staying up that late on a Monday and a Tuesday night. So I missed her piece on stage. But seemingly she had spoken a lot about her mother. Her mother had passed away. She was very young. She was only nine. Her sister was 12 and her brother was uh, 15. So she spoke about her dad and what a great man her dad was. And I did record... The, her winning last night and watched it this morning and when the cameras panned over to her dad oh my god the emotion in her dad's face and then to hear uh, Rachel talk about how she felt her mother's presence and how she felt her mother uh, was uh, with her and a lot of people uh, were saying that her she had sang the traditional song Teddy O'Neill and it was just a superb uh, version so well done to uh, Rachel Duffy and of course our own Cork uh, Rose I did get to see uh, her last night uh, Jenny Byrne by God but did Jenny Byrne do us proud here in Cork and of course she spoke um, about what she's been studying she's been studying at UCC and she's now in NUI in uh, Galway but it was really interesting to hear about the, the focus of her work is on gender studies and working with women with disabilities and how she has been exploring employment opportunities for women with disabilities in Cambodia and in Rwanda and to hear her say that the challenges that women with disability are facing in Cambodia and Rwanda are very similar to the issues we see here here in Ireland or in any other European country and you think of Cambodia and Rwanda as very much developing countries and you think that surely people with disabilities would be so much worse off in those countries and that us European countries, people with disabilities would be, would be treated and wouldn't be facing as many challenges so I was really interested to hear her say that and I know in her interview on stage with uh, Dahi she said she is going back to uh, Cambodia I think it's around the middle of September so saying to John Paul in the office this morning 
love to track her down because we didn't get a chance to speak with her before the actual Rose Tralee Festival got underway. So I would be really interested in chatting with Jennifer about her plans for going to Cambodia in September. So well done to Jennifer Byrne, as I say, she did all of us here in Cork proud. And we kind of had two roses last night that we were cheering for in this year's festival and of course the other rose was Maud Brennan who is from Glantam outside of Mallow and she was representing Sydney. She was the Sydney Rose and a couple of weeks ago Maud actually joined me in studio and she was just a gorgeous, gorgeous girl and she had the honour and I also think slash the very nervous role of being the first rose on stage on the first night on Monday but no, we didn't need to worry about Maud because she was fantastic on stage and then she her party piece was she did that beautiful song she sang and played the piano uh, in my father's house and of course she dedicated that to her dad who sadly passed away from cancer in uh, 2017 and that was one of the things that struck me as well I mean young Rachel talking about her mother having passed away Maud talking about her dad having passed away and there was a lot of the other roses who also uh, spoke about having lost a a parent and many of them was to uh, cancer it's such it's just I suppose it goes back to what we've often said on the programme is, is there's not a family in this island probably anywhere in the world who hasn't in some way been touched by uh, cancer sooner we find a cure for cancer uh, the better so well done to all of the roses and Michael is already in with a WhatsApp on the Rose of Tralee she, and he wants to congratulate Rachel Duffy on becoming Rose of Tralee for 2022 Michael says in his WhatsApp I've no doubt but a star was born in the Rose of Tralee contest on Monday with her beautiful rendition of Teddy O'Neill she won the hearts of the audience and the, and the country with her rendition of it and it didn't come as a major surprise last night when she was crowned Rose of Tralee. Michael reckons that Ireland should look no further for somebody to send to the next Eurovision Song Contest. Even if she's not successful, she has a bright future ahead of her in the musical world. Each and every one of the ladies deserve a huge congratulations for their performance on stage over the last two nights. But there was clearly only one winner. Every good luck to Rachel in the uh, future. So it looks like Michael uh, is certainly agreeing with the the winner of the Rose of Tralee last night. Your thoughts are uh, welcomed 0818-103-103. Pat says, Morning Patricia, the Rose of Tralee should have a name change. It should be called Person of Tralee and young men should be allowed to enter the co- contest. If not, surely it is a discrimination. So <laughs> I don't know how people would feel uh, about that. Uh, we, we completely changed the Rose of Tralee to Person of Tralee. Would people agree with that? Or maybe should we have a separate competition? I suppose some would say there is a slightly running in parallel with the Rose of Tralee, the escorts. And I don't know how the escort, there's always an overall escort selected that got announced the the night before. I don't exactly know how they pick who is the best escort. So maybe maybe the Rose of Tralee organisers feel that they're covering the men by doing that, by having their own little competition going on where they pick the contestant or the the best escort every year. So a couple of calls in Sinead in Mill Street. Uh, The listener who asked about why men 
are not allowed to get involved in the Rose Tralee and should we change it to the person of uh, Tralee? Um, Sinead uh, said he may have a point but then at the end of the day the Rose Tralee is a tradition in this country. It's been going for 60 odd years so why change it? We seem to be changing everything these days. Men are well represented by way of escorts I feel. Leave it alone. Thank you for that Sinead. And somebody else says morning. Just a quick question. Last night on the Rose Tralee how come the winner wasn't crowned with a tiara? It was always one of the highlights. They put the sash on and then they put a nice little tiara on to the head of the rose and I thought the same thing and actually I saw on Twitter a number of people were saying that that as well I'll see if I can find out why they've decided to get rid of the tiara but to me it was always a sash and a tiara and of course a lot of other prizes as well we'll see if we can uh, find out uh, why and a story that's making a lot of the news services and the papers this morning it's one of those stories you kind of read about it earlier this morning and I just thought God is there a timing to introduce things and when there's money involved and at a time when families are really struggling do the government need to be watching you know every single cent that they're spending and make sure that it's targeted at people that need it most and this story is to do with proposals to change the ownership of Irish water and they're going to put it into one entity and you know maybe you know don't really have an issue around that but they're going to do a name change and they're going to call it Ishka Aaron from next year but it comes with a price tag it'll cost at least 5 million euro to uh, 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 to do it and that's on top of they reckon there could be additional charges with the rebranding because obviously headed paper everything's going to have to be changed from Irish Water to Ishka Aaron and it's the Housing Minister Darren O'Brien he recently published a bill which is going to separate Irish water from Ervia, uh, uh, of which the utility is a subsidiary and it means then it will be known only by its Irish name into the future. The Housing Minister, Dara O'Brien, said that the separation of Irish water from the parent company, Ervia, is in the best strategic interest of the water services and the gas network businesses. So they separate the two out and it's expected that it's going to come into effect from the 1st of January next year. However, in an explanatory memorandum accompanying the legislation, the government outlined the financial implications. The cost arising from separating Irish water from the Ervia group uh, will include a one-off separation grant of five million. The change in Irish Water's name to Ishka Aaron may also result in additional costs being incurred by Ishka Aaron in branding across the organisation. It's intended that such costs will be kept to a minimum and the Department of, of Housing intends to engage with Irish Water on the approach to the matter as well as quantifying the costs incurred. So they haven't put a price yet on how much the rebranding is going to cost but they already know that it's going to cost £5 million to separate them from Ervia. Now, seemingly a body, huge body of the work has already been uh, carried out and the Oireachtas Committee seemingly last year heard that most, much of the costs of transferring Irish water to a standalone entity relates to ICT issues. And I hear you cry, what are ICT issues? Because we had to look into what ICT issues are. And ICT issues are information and communication technology. So in separating it out at the moment what happens is there is one single ICT network within the Ervia group which deals with the gas and deals, deals with the water. They've got to be separated out so um, there's information and communication technology. There's a lot of work to be done there and that's going to cost 5 million 
And then there will also be the additional costs, which we don't know yet how much it's going to be in rebranding and changing the name of Irish Water to Ishka Erin. It's kind of one of those stories you read about it and you think you really couldn't be making this stuff up. I just think it's the timing of it when so many families are struggling back to school costs. We've already been talking about uh, food poverty, about fuel poverty. And then somewhere, some someone within the government and within the civil service thinks it's okay to spend five million on this and the additional cost of rebranding. I mean, you know, the rebranding is going to cost, and I, I have no idea how much the figure is going to come out. Come out at why not just leave it as Irish Water? Because even though it's going to change to Ishka Erin, I guarantee you, people will still be for many, many years referring to it in it's the English name of it in Irish Water, and it will take ages before people will actually start calling it Ishka Erin. And will it make any difference what the name, whether it's in Irish or in English? I don't think so. 0818103103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862. 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. And just a couple of comments in on Irish Water and this proposal that it's going to get a rebranding. It's going to be a standalone entity and it's going to be known as Ishka Aaron. And it'll cost five million to make it a standalone entity, but nobody knows yet. Uh, they're still in discussions as to how much it is going to cost to rebrand and to do the name change Irish Water to Ishka Aaron. And says, Oh, Patricia, why are the government wasting money for changing the water name to Ishka? Everyone is struggling at the moment just to buy the bare essentials, and somebody somewhere thinks it's okay to do this brand change. I think it's just the timing of it. Yeah, I think you're right on that one. And thank you for your text. Jim says, Trish, it's madness. It's the government can spend five million on rebanding Irish water and they, then they have more money than cents and there will still be leaks if it's called Ishka Aaron and five million would fix a lot of uh, leaks. And that's a good point. The five million could be used. How many times have we spoken about leaks going unnoticed and even though people have reported the leaks and we're constantly hearing during that very warm spell I think there wasn't a day went by that we didn't have somebody to come on to say there was a leak in their area they'd contacted Irish Water they'd contacted the council and nobody had come out to do something about it are you add to areas who constantly have breaks and Irish Water in fairness do their best to come out and fix it but there's water outages was it yesterday Fremont we were talking about an outage in Fremont so you would think if there's five million going a begging that that five million could be used in a different way instead. 0818 Now on Robert Troy Pat Bandon has been on to say how come the likes of Junior Minister Robert Troy and indeed other politicians who own houses and are landlords that they that they rent out Uh, How can they be allowed to vote on decisions to do with rental properties when there are people who can barely afford to own their own home? The system seems to be all wrong. These type of politicians cannot decide for the struggling Irish. And I think there was a piece among the papers today. I think the 80 members of, I don't know if it's just all Aaron or is it the houses of both the Rockdust, but 80 members are actually landlords and some of them have very substantial property portfolios. And every day I have to say there seems to be a new chapter to the Robert Troy uh, saga. 
The latest one making the papers today is a property co-owned by the junior minister, Robert Troy, is now being investigated for alleged unauthorised development. Now, it's a property in Dublin where one bedroom units are being let for more than €1,500 a month. And it seems the property does not have a fire safety certificate, which by law it is supposed to have. It's Dublin City Council. Now, they say they previously investigated what they called an unauthorised construction of fire escape stairs at the back of the same property, which had been subdivided into four rental units by Robert Troy and his business party. Partner. Now, of course, as we already know, Robert Troy is under pressure over his failure to fully declare details of his property interests, which they must do. All TDs must do it on the Dáil Register and they need to do it on an annual basis. Now, he revealed yesterday that he has nine rental properties. He also admitted that he gets the housing assistant payment HAP from five of his tenants and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that but he came out and admitted that yesterday. He, the Fianna Fáil TD was speaking on national radio yesterday and he said during yesterday's interview that all of his properties are compliant with all of the regulations including all of the fire regulations but the Irish Independent have revealed that Dublin City Council issued a formal warning and initiated an investigation for alleged unauthorised development outside of designated working hours on the property. And this is this particular property, one of the properties that he rents out in Fisborough in Dublin. And they did that back in July of 2020. The council's planning enforcement officer said yesterday that that file was still open. Under planning laws, the council can issue an enforcement proceedings over unauthorised uh, d- d- development and by the way, if the person is found uh, guilty, there's fines of up to 10 million euro. It, it can also come with imprisonment of, of up to two years or both. The council separately confirmed that there was no fire safety certificate on the register for that particular property, which is co-owned by Robert Troy and his business partner. I know a spokesperson for Robert Troy didn't respond to queries on the matter last night. And that seems to be every time something new comes out about Robert Troy there's initially no response or no comment and then suddenly a day or two later there's another interview given and there's another explanation given and as I say it just adds another chapter to the saga of Robert Troy and his property portfolio. Uh, The TD said last week that he had sold the garden of this property in 2020 but had declined to provide further details. Now this particular development consists of two one-bedroomed apartments and then two two-bedroom departments. But one of the one-bedroom units was listed on rent.ie earlier this year for €1,550 to rent it per month. That's just one of the four. This house has been subdivided into four uh, properties. Now, on foot of a complaint back in 2015, Dublin City Council's enforcement officer said that a metal fire escape stairs was inconsistent with the character of the structure and the neighbouring structure. So Robert Troy and his business partner then had to go, had to seek planning for the unauthorised development and they went through what is the retention permission from the council. Now they did go for that and it was then approved. But the Dublin City Council enforcement officer 
Office file shows that in 2015 and in 2016, the local authority investigated allegations that Robert Troy and his business partner did not obtain planning for the renovation and the conversion of the building. Dublin City Council determined as the property was a pre-1966 development. Planning permission wasn't required at that time to subdivide the property and they told the complainant then that they couldn't take out any enforcement action. But asked about a report by the ditch that Robert Troy had failed to obtain a fire safety cert for the property. Dublin City Council have admitted that yes, that is correct. There is no fire safety cert on register for this address. So it looks like the man is going to have to give yet another interview to explain why he doesn't have a fire safety certificate for that particular property and why did he state in an interview yesterday that he was compliant with all of the regulations including fire regulations. Just like he's got his finger in too many uh, pies, uh, does he not? But as I say, he is not alone. I think it's 80 are the number of uh, TDs and our senators who are also landlords besides being full-time public representatives. 0818103103. John Paul is taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862103103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. And I will come back to your calls and comments on the rebranding of Irish Water to Ishka Aaron, which is upsetting uh, so many people this morning. But I want to move on to a different topic because wedding bands say that they are absorbing additional costs for couples, but prices will have to increase from now on because musicians are getting hit really, really hard on fuel costs. Joining me from the Wedding Band Association is Cahal Malloy. And in a couple of minutes, I'll also be speaking with Tony Ward, who is part of the Blue Moose uh, Wedding Band. But Cahal Malloy uh, joins me first. Good morning to Cahal. Good morning, how are you? I'm very well and, and you're welcome. Now, your association is proposing something that many people would see as, as very simple and it would immediately help your industry. You want a reduction in VAT. What VAT are you currently paying? So the current VAT rate is 23%. And a brief synopsis for your listeners. If a wedding band as an entity exceeds 37,500, they will then have to register for VAT at 23%. So... This particular uh, VAT issue has been an item on our agenda since the formation of the the Wedding Band Association in 2014. So it wasn't really just kind of pre-COVID or post-COVID, but COVID has definitely sped up um, our our, our sight on to get it down. So just if I able to explain, we will be able to stabilise prices by getting this VAT rate down. And we believe we should be in line with the hospitality sector because we believe we're part of that whole ecosystem of tourism and hospitality. Yeah, because of course the hospitality sector fought really hard and they have one of the lowest rates there currently at at 9%. uh, So there would be an argument that you should be tied in with hospitality for sure. It's a very, very strong argument. And there's a lot of different moving parts to it. One of the things that we're saying is amateur bands that, you know, they're kind of working part-time in weddings. Like, people, I think, realise after COVID, wedding bands got a lot of attention. And it's true to say that a great wedding band makes a great wedding. Mm. And we've had a recession, we've had COVID, and wedding bands are still coming out. There's huge demand. So what we'd like to see is the likes of the amateur bands being able to move into the professional capacity. Now, the VAT rate is a barrier. It's not the number one thing on the list to get the VAT rate down, but it's part 
of a lot of different moving parts. Getting the VAT rate down, we'll see more people move into the industry. And it'll actually come back to the checker in the long run because it'll see people getting in there. The 9%, there's not as much pain in that as there is with 23%. And Carl, we're also talking about a group of people who didn't work throughout the pandemic. There could also be the argument, you're, you're an industry that needs a break. Absolutely. It was a very, very difficult time. I'm sure many people, including yourself, when the, when the, when the pandemic hit, it kind of went, OK, well, this is kind of, you know, we're, we're dealing with this, you know, we're at home with our families and bits and pieces. But it became very, uh, like, what's the best word to use? It became very scary after about 18 months where we, we weren't able to work. And then they brought in the no live music. Mm. Um, so all of those elements. And this gave us a lot of time then to kind of roll back and think back what we need to do when we're coming out of it. And, yeah, you know, and, and as with everybody in the entertainment industry, whenever I'm speaking with anyone uh, since uh, COVID arrived on our shores, you were the first industry to close down and the last industry to get back up and running. Yeah, we were, absolutely. But the good news story is that nothing was, there was no real kind of dint in who we are and people still want us, you know. Yeah. Wedding couples, as I, I keep on reflecting back, like, they still want a great band. And the biggest problem now is that the demand, the supply is not there for the demand. Because there's so many weddings. So many weddings. And there's a difference between a wedding band and a great wedding band. And <laughs> I, I, I truly believe yeah. that getting this fat rate down will bring more people into the system to give more choice and just relieve that kind of demand. Yeah, and actually, when I mentioned earlier that you were going to be joining me on the programme this morning, Cahal, I was, I was saying that during the pandemic, when the small weddings went ahead, I mean, we had weddings where there was only 10 people uh, present. So obviously there wasn't a wedding band at those kind of uh, events. And there had been a talk for a while, oh, we'll never go back to seeing the big weddings. But that's been proven completely wrong, isn't it? The big wedding is back. The big, the big wedding is back. And look, I'm based in, in Clare here. So I speak to my colleagues that are based out in kind of the kind of maybe down down in Munster or, or over in kind of Mayo and stuff. Those the, the big weddings are back strong there. Now, what I would say is some of the weddings at the moment, you know, you'll see a little bit of a drop off. We're seeing that stuff. There's 150 people invited. You, you, there's a bit of a trend there. You might see 120, but that's not unusual. Either. Mm. You know, you'll always have a percentage of drop off. But I think the COVID thing is slowly starting to fade out now. But we are seeing seeing like did a wedding the other night. Two of the bridesmaids got COVID. Oh. <laughs> you know, but, but look, staying on point with the VAT, we believe that it's it's a really, really good argument for us to get that down. And I think if wedding bands get it, it'll, it'll trickle down. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Stay there. Let me bring in Tony Ward, who is with Blue Moose uh, Wedding Band. Uh, good morning to you, Tony. Good morning. How are we today? I'm, I'm very well, thank you. Firstly, as a wedding band, how busy are you at the moment? Yeah, it's, it's it's extremely busy. It's unprecedented, really. But again, just back to a point you said there, we're playing to two years catch-up. Um, so while it's extremely, extremely busy at the moment, we're making up, like, we're in peak season right now, but at the moment we're dealing with uh, uh, weddings that have rolled over from two other peak seasons. So while it's extremely busy at the moment, we do foresee that it's just kind of averaging out. We're just catching up with work. But yeah, we're on the on the road nearly four or five nights a week. And so, uh, Tony, a lot of the wedding, the summer weddings that you're doing this year would have initially been booked. Some of them even pre-COVID, but certainly some of them during COVID and then transferred over because the wedding got cancelled. Does that mean you're honouring the original price agreed? 
Oh yes, yeah, that's that's where we're actually caught now, and and this is kind of in line with what the Wedding Man Association are looking for in the cut in VAT. Um, so as some of my bookings I would have taken in in 2018, 2019. Uh, you agree a price back then, uh, you're contracted, so we're playing those weddings right now, correct? But yet your costs have gone up. I mean, your fuel costs have certainly gone up. Yeah, and like, you know, in reality, nobody could have foreseen what, what was going to happen with the fuel prices or the cost of living or anything like that. Now, not to play the complete poor mouth on it, cost of living has increased for everybody across the board. Everybody drives a car, everybody drive, you know, everybody used to drive to work. But as you just pointed out there, we are now completing work that was agreed at a price where we hadn't foreseen this increase in price. Whereas at the moment, restaurants or pubs or hotels can increase their price on the go. Um, whereas we're caught in a bracket where we have agreed a price and we have to complete that wedding at that price. And like it's OK if the wedding is just down the road. But I mean, as Cahill said, a good wedding band will make or break a wedding. Absolutely. And people have a tendency, it's word of mouth. You were at a wedding, that wedding band were brilliant. I'm, you know, hell or high water, I'm going to have them at my wedding. And it could mean the wedding band having to travel further. So it does seem unfair that you've got to just suck up the additional cost. Yeah, any of the professional wedding bands in the country will, will travel from Donegal to Dingle or from Dulleek across to Doolan. You know, you're covering the four sides of the country. Last week, like I did an average on it, I did 2,000 kilometres last week alone just covering covering the weddings that we were doing. So that's a huge... When you actually plot up the difference in your fuel and your cost yeah, and all yeah. that, it's a, it's a, it's a massive, huge amount. Massive. I don't think people actually realise what it is. Well, massive what you would have been paying two, three years ago to do the, the exactly. same 2,000 kilometres. Do I assume, Tony, that new bookings, you obviously have to charge more? Yes, you do, a small bit. Now, again, this is why this is in line with the VAT cut. We don't want prices to store. We don't want to outprice ourselves out of the market. And in fairness, wedding couples, a wedding is an expensive time for couples. You don't want them hit too hard. So if we could get this that reduction, as Cahill just said, it would stabilise the prices. It would give us a bit of a break that we don't need to put a huge increase on the couple's shoulders. Yeah, and it was certainly a cost in the VAT, uh, Tony, would make a dent in what you're paying out extra in diesel. That's the thing. Yeah. And like it, it's totally in line with the, with the tour. The hotels got their 9% at the flick of a switch. You know, as Carl said, we've been fighting this for years and years, but now is the time that the pressure's on, the spotlight is on, increasing fuel prices. We just need this break so we can stabilise our prices and not outprice ourselves out of the market. Okay, and Cahill, have you put in a pre-budget submission? Who who are you speaking to? Did you get on to government ministers? We certainly did, and we've been engaged actually throughout the whole pandemic. Certainly more so with the Department of Tourism, with with uh, Minister Catherine Martin, and uh, they were great to engage with. In this case, it's obviously um, the submission, the pre-budget submission, has gone into uh, Minister Donoghue. And um, we have had response and the response that we got has been considered. Like, we're optimistic. It's a big ask because, look, there was an, always an argument that, you know, here in Ireland with the EU directives, they couldn't change it. But we've, we've now realised that they actually can. Um, and look, I come back to getting the reduction in VAT. What it'll ultimately do is it'll bring more people into our industry. It'll take off the pressure of demand. It'll stabilise prices. And the Exchequer will see it back. 
Yeah, it yeah, makes yeah. Sense. yeah. And at a time when it seems that the exchequer is awash with money, there's never there, there possibly is never a better time for them to look at something like this and uh, to uh, reduce it. Um, and are you both? Um, are both have you both got weddings booked for this weekend? Yeah, if I come in there. Well, I'm actually going to my brother's wedding today. <laughs> <laughs> is that today? So you're, you're, you're not performing, obviously. Well, look, I have a little surprise for him, um, but it's a small, it's, it's, it's actually a small wedding. Uh, so <laughs> it's, it's going to be events. We're actually looking forward to it. And then we have four in a row. Um, no different than probably like Tony might, might be the same as well. Come here, what's the surprise? He won't be listening to us. What's the surprise you're doing? <laughs> Tell well, us. Well, <laughs> I'd be shocked for saying this on radio that he didn't get a band. <laughs> but, but the truth about it is it's a small event and the surprise is I told him look no need for a big band what we'll do is you know we'll, we'll get a bit of music going for you but I actually have the surprise around providing the band ah, well done well done Cahill. <laughs> well, well, done. Well, done. well done and uh, Tony what about you are you have you weddings coming up Yes, I was actually down in Cahill's country last night. I was in Selbridge in Kildare last night for a wedding. Uh, I'm off today and I'm back out then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday and I'm off next Tuesday. Oh my God, yeah. God. And do you love it? I'll tell you, for the amount of work we put in, you'd want to love it. Um, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's one of those it's one of those careers and one of those jobs. If, if you love it, it's never a job. Um, if you don't love it, it'll drag you down. But any of my colleagues, any of the guys in Blue Moose who absolutely love what we do and give it 100% every night when we can. Because there's always such a great mood and a great atmosphere at, at weddings. I'm assuming you both have met Bridezillas over the years, have you? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> pleading the fifth there, pleading the fifth. Listen, yeah. it was a pleasure to talk to uh, both of you. Carl, have a lovely day at your brother's wedding uh, today. Thank you. And uh, Tony, thank you both for joining us. You're very welcome. Thank you very Good morning much. to you. Bye-bye. Uh, Cahill Malloy uh, there, who is with the Wedding Band Association and also Tony Ward of Blue Moose Wedding Band. Uh, the Wedding Bands just want a bit of a break and a bit of a cut on their VAT rate. 23%. Uh, percent. They, are, they pay VAT at what's deemed uh, luxury. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Some of your thoughts coming in on some of the issues we've been discussing this morning. Dennis uh, was listening to our piece on the wedding bands industry looking for a cut in VAT. They pay VAT at 23% and 23% is kind of with luxury items. It's the highest rate of VAT that you can pay and they're saying they should be treated like the hospitality sector who of course we know pay a much lower VAT rate. They fought hard hard fight campaign and they pay VAT at 9%. Dennis says to the musicians who want a cut in VAT what essential services do they suggest we cut? Do we discuss, Do we cut disability allowance? Do we give less to carers, job seekers, the state pension? At the end of the day, VAT goes to pay for uh, services. You may not like it, but you've got to get over it. Uh, if you're not, if you don't like paying 23% VAT, then pack, pack up and Dennis says, get a real job, nine to five. Whoa, says uh, Dennis. No sympathy at all for the wedding bands. That's my text to 0862-103-103. Still getting in a lot of calls on the Rose of Tralee with a lot of people again picking up on the fact that the when the Rose of Tralee and I can't even say was crowned Rose of Tralee because she wasn't because she didn't get a crown she got a sash but she didn't get a crown Hi Patricia I also noticed apart from the no crown put on the beautiful new rose 
There wasn't a bouquet of flowers either, unless I missed it. Did you find out the reason why there's no crown this year? It always sealed the end of the festival. What a strange ending. Thanking, uh, thanks, Patricia. I, I know I can't find a reason. And I know John Paul has been looking as well. I can't find any reason why there wasn't a tiara. And I'm looking back at photographs and I wanted in particular to see the last rose tree that was crowned was the Limerick Rose Sinead Flanagan. That was in uh, 2019. And there's a picture of Sinead Flanagan on stage the night she won the Rose of uh, Tralee. And she has her Rose of Tralee sash, very same as uh, the one that Rachel got last night. And she has a gorgeous Tipperary crystal tiara on. So they did have a tiara in 2019. And Tipperary Crystal are still one of the main sponsors of the Rose of Trilly International uh, Festival. And I know part of the prize is uh, jewellery from the Tipperary Crystal, their latest collection, their 2020 jewellery collection. There's a range of jewellery from uh, that. And I saw on someone else online had had put up a piece I think it was one, it was some news feed. I can't remember which news feed it was, but they said that there was to be a Tipperary crystal tiara. So I don't know maybe why it didn't make it out on stage. We'll see. We might have to take it on to the organisers to see why there wasn't a tiara. And if there was, it just wasn't presented on stage. I don't know the reason for it. Because there's a lot of prizes involved, about €25,000 uh, worth of prizes. I mean, there's, the, there's all of that jewellery from Tipperary uh, Crystal. The rose, the winning rose gets free accommodation at the Meadows Hotel, Meadowlands Hotel in uh, Tralee. And it can be used anytime throughout her year-long reign. And she also gets the use of a car for the year as well. So it comes along with some nice prizes. But uh, people scratching their heads as to why they didn't put a gorgeous crystal tiara onto her head. Somebody else wants to know what was the name of the song that the Westmeath Rose performed as part of her a party piece. The, the song, she did a traditional version of the song, Teddy O'Neill. That was the song that she did. And someone else, and I can't answer this, wants to know what night was the Westmeath Rose on? I think it was last night, but I didn't see her on stage piece because if it was last night, it was, I think I was there up to about half past ten and then I had to head to the lava. So I, so I missed her. But if anyone watched the two nights, what night was the West Cork Rose? What night did she do her on stage interview with uh, Dahi O'Shea? Now, I'm assuming somebody wants to look back on the player and don't want to have to go through the two uh, programmes that were on Monday and Tuesday. So if anyone can tell us what night was the West Meath Rose. When what night did she do her interview with uh, Dahi O'Shea? Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. And a lot of people absolutely fuming over the piece that I mentioned to do with Irish Water and the name change to Ishka Aram. And the fact that it's going to become a separate entity. Now, hopefully by becoming a separate entity, maybe that means that more money will go into Irish Water. I don't know. I don't fully fully understand why they're going to make it a separate entity and take it out from, at the moment, it's under Ervia, who operate both the Irish Water and operate the gas and network. So they're separating out the two companies and there's a cost incurred with the information and communication technology has to be separated. But also, and we, we still don't know what the cost is going to be, on the rebranding, changing the name from Irish Water to Ishka Aaron, there will be a cost involved in that, which means ultimately it will go over the five million. But by how much, we don't know. Uh, Michael in Castletown Bear says, Patricia, there is only one word to describe changing the name of Irish Water, and that is insanity. 
yeah, particularly if there's a cost involved in it, Michael. I think a lot of people will agree with you on that. Someone else says, here we go again. Another new name for the waterworks of Ireland. What was the cost from the from moving water from the various councils to Irish water and all the quangos that were included in that? Uh, I wonder how many more will be lining up to drain the uh, system. There, obviously, there was a lot of money made the last time. Will it be the same again at this time? <sighs> I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the ultimate cost would be at the end. And maybe we can try to find out more as to what are the implications for Irish water as an entity by making it a standalone. And Joe was on to us when we were talking about we know the, le- the, the very least it's going to cost five million, but we know it's going to be more with the rebranding uh, costs. And, you know, a lot of people are pointing out oh, five million, lot you could do with five million, particularly when it comes to fixing some of our and replacing some of our very antiquated old pipes. Uh, Joe says um, was back on to us. Now, he was on to us a few weeks ago. Joe was the gentleman who contacted us from the Liscarrel area and it was to do with the leak on the road from Butterfield to Liscarrel. He's back on to us today to say just to let you know that leak remains in place. He says the last he heard or the last we heard when we got onto Irish Water about it, they were investigating to see was it a public water main or was it a private main? So therefore they couldn't fix it until they could work out were they responsible for it or was it a private main? And I remember at the time thinking, would you just fix it? Would you just get somebody out and just fix it? Because we were coming into the very warm weather and the heat wave and drought conditions and everybody told you conserve water and here we had water that we knew was on flown out of a hole on the road between Lascarrel and Butterfield and people were trying to work out who's responsible for it. Just fix the leak, please. Joe says he's also in the past highlighted leaks on public waterways in Charleville, in Dramina and at O'Rourke's Cross outside of uh, Charleville. A lot of leaks need to be fixed and I'm assuming he is saying that that €5 million Euro that they're talking about that they're talking about with the name change and making it a separate entity could be used to repair some of the those leaks. Uh, so say all of us. 0818 103 103. And a number of texters and students have been on to say that the Westmeath Rose was on on Monday night. She was a first night. She was the second last rose on Monday night. Ah, that's how I missed her. I thought somebody was going to say she was the second rose. I was going to say, no, I saw the second rose. So the second last rose on Monday night. For those people who, like me, missed it, if you want to go back onto the player, you can download it on the player and then you can fast forward to the second last rose on Monday night. So thank you. And by all, and you know something, I think I'm actually going to do that. I'm actually going to take a look at her because it was her singing that everyone is talking about. And it was was Michael, it was one of the first texts we did this morning, uh, was Michael talking about her rendition of uh, Teddy O'Neill and what a superb rendition it was. And he reckoned that was part of the reason that she won the hearts of the uh, audience. And a number of people were saying that they had watched all of the roses and she had been their outright winner. So a popular choice for sure. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. Let's start with ward personnel. They've got vacancies for all types of carpenters. It's for work right across the Cork region. You can call 021 233 9120. The Fromoy Citizens Information Centre have a vacancy for a permanent part time information officer. Application forms are available at www.citizensinformationboard.ie. 
Little Haven Play School. They're based in Union Hall. They've got a vacancy for an experienced AIM early years assistant slash practitioner for nine hours work per week. Now, you need to have a minimum of level five qualification. Email your CV and a cover letter to the committee LHPS at gmail.com. And roofers and labourers are required for a number of vacancies in the Bandon area. Safe pass and manual handling certs are essential. You can text WhatsApp at 086 8388310 or you can email info at horizonroofing.eu. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. According to the Social Finance Foundation, which is a non-profit lender to community and voluntary organisations, more and more households are turning to unlicensed money lenders to cope with the rising cost of living. To chat about the problem of illegal money lenders, I'm joined from Social Finance Foundation by their Chief Executive, and that is Brendan Whelan. Good morning to you, Brendan. Good morning, Patricia. And you're very welcome uh, to the programme. Now, we do have legislation to cap the rates that money lenders can charge, but these new laws will have little or no impact on the illegal ones. Are there many of them around the country? Um, that's, a, that's a difficult question to answer, Patricia, because illegal money lending is criminal activity. So trying to get data on it is extremely difficult. So we tend to rely on information from organisations that work close to people on the ground, like MABS, uh, Vincent de Paul, uh, Bernardo's, organisations like that. And we, we're not able to say precisely how much there is, but our sense is that uh, it, it's probably going to get worse rather than better because of a lot of things that are happening at the moment. I think we're all familiar with the cost of living crisis. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and do and do they make money lending very easy to families oh, in need? Very much so. It's it's um, you ask for the money and and the, the person would open their wallet and give it to you straight away. But you know we've we've heard extreme cases where uh, a loan for maybe a hundred euro ended up. Uh, costing the person a few thousand euro wow. in terms of how much they had to pay back. So it's as bad as that as, in some senses. And they are a section of society you do you really don't want to get on the wrong side of. I, I think they certainly, a lot of them fall into that category, yeah, exactly. And, and it's why it's very difficult to, uh, I suppose, bring them to book in terms of um, prosecuting them because individuals are very reluctant to report them. Maybe for two reasons. One, they would fear intimidation and, and retaliation. And, and two, they may still have a dependency on them for, for, for continuing recourse to money. Mm. Uh, yeah, I remember a number of years ago, a woman uh, contacting us who was in the grips of an illegal money lender who used to call to her house on the first Tuesday of every month and march her down to the post office. And he actually held her children's allowance book and she'd yeah. have to go in, cash it in. And she... Had no idea how much she was paying. She, you know, she couldn't even remember what the original loan was because it had been topped up so many times. And I remember it was through MABS and her local credit union. We managed to get her out of the grips of it. But she was just hugely intimidated by this man who used to turn up every month. 
Exactly. And I was talking to an individual only after I spoke on the topic on Monday who told me an example of somebody in Limerick who literally borrowed €100 Euro for a week and ended up with a bill measured in thousands. Oh, for that one shocking. euro. It's, just it's, shocking. it's absolutely shocking. But Brendan, then there are householders who feel they have no other option. They've nowhere else to go to borrow money. Yeah, and, and, and that's understandable. But I, I think we'd encourage people when, when that's the case to, to contact MABs, contact credit unions. I mean, credit unions were set up in the late 50s to address precisely the issue of money lenders, you know. And the vast majority of them are, are more than willing to sit down and, and see can they help, you know. So... It's very difficult to get out of it, out of the issue, out of the, the problem yourself. Uh, you really do need the support of the, the money advice and budgeting system, MABs or credit unions. Or indeed, you know, go to your uh, local community welfare officer where mm-hmm. exceptional need payments can be, can be made where, where it's appropriate. You know, but really go and seek help is, is, is the advice we, we would give. Yeah, I mean, the community welfare officer, I mean, they've, they even went to the point of during the summer, I mean, we certainly were running ads on this radio station saying to people, you know, if a, if a bill comes in or an appliance breaks down in your house, and it's usually yeah. when something like that happens, yeah. if you're on a very tight budget, that's when the panic sets in. Exactly, exactly. And, and I think a lot of people would, you know, hear that perhaps Johnny down the road, uh, you know, lends money and, and go and go and touch base with them, and and then you fall into the trap, and and then it, it really does become a trap that's very difficult to to remove, get yourself removed from, you know. Yeah, and even if you're getting towards the end of paying it off, they'd encourage you to take a top up loan. Oh, and, absolutely. And, but absolutely. but even the licensed uh, money lenders, uh, Brendan, yeah. they charge very high interest rates. They do, and uh, typically you are looking at something in the region of about 200%. It's called APR. Um, now, the government introduced legislation literally two months ago to cap it. Now, they've been very careful in, in introducing the initial cap, so they've uh, they've set the cap at 40, 48% of a simple interest rate. Now, it's getting a bit complicated here, but just to simplify it, a simple interest rate, if you went to your credit union, would cost you 6%. Okay. Uh, the cap that the government have set on money lenders is 48%, which is eight times the cost of a credit union loan. Now, in fairness, the legislation has a mechanism whereby every few years uh, the, the cap will be reviewed and the minister then has the ability to lower the cap. And we would be urging him to do that and, and do it in, in much larger increments than perhaps he started. You know, yeah. But the good news is, we have that legislation Thank on the God. books to allow Thank that God. cap. But okay. as I say, it's the it's the illegal ones and, and the point Absolutely. the point yeah. you've made, it's it's trying to get the Gardaí and try to track down these illegal money lenders, but it's very hard to get people to report them. Yeah, now, that's an interesting point, Patricia, in that there was specific legislation put in place around the mid-90s on illegal money lending. And... It, it has a very important uh, feature in it, which is that instead of the presumption of innocence, which is the case in the criminal justice system, with this legislation, if a money lender, an illegal money lender, was found with documentation, books, as you described, belonging to people, um, in their possession by the guardee, the onus is on the money lender to prove he's not one. Mm. So um, that legislation is there and not being used. So that needs to be enforced. And that needs to be publicised and enforced. And 
But it needs more than that. Uh, and we've looked across at the UK where they've set up what's called illegal money lending teams. And they work with the police force because one aspect is obviously enforcement of the law and, and bringing these guys to book. The second piece is supporting people and making sure that there's a lot of uh, uh, support, uh, confidential lines so that people can report, uh, con- uh, confident that they, you know, they won't be known uh, and so on. So there's a lot that can be done. And I, I think the recommendation we're making, Patricia, is that all of the relevant bodies need to really get together to tackle this problem. So that would include the Department of Justice and the Garda Síochána, the Department of Finance, the Central Bank of Ireland, MABs, credit unions, social protection, the CMV organisations that operate like St. Vincent's de Paul and so forth and ourselves. So I think if there's a will, I think that the topic can be can be addressed um, and that we'd, we'd urge those those organisations to to uh, really come together and, and address matters as they've been done across the water. Yeah, because I take it if you go into particularly areas of, of deprivation or areas yeah. of, of high unemployment, the dogs on the street will be able to tell you where Johnny lives, who lends the money out. Absolutely, yeah. And, and, and they, they, they won't report them at the moment. So. Yeah. 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 So, Brendan, to anybody listening, you know, and I'm very conscious of back to school and back to school yeah. costs, and there's been so much talk about back to school costs. Yeah. And to anyone listening who is in the grips of dealing with a, a yeah. money lender, what what is your direct advice to them? Yeah, I, I, I strongly advise them to touch base with MAB um, in the first instance. And MABs, MABs tend to work well with the local credit union as well. But start with MABs, um, go to the credit union yourself if, if, if you need to. But, and, and, and look for help, not just look for the money that, that you need immediately, but look for the help that will eventually get you out of the grip of the money lender. Yeah, and MAB's a wonderful organisation, as indeed are all of our local, yeah. and we've got some brilliant, brilliant local credit unions with, yeah, with, with great people working yeah. there. And, and just before I let you go, tell me a little bit about your organisation, Social Finance, the Social yeah. Finance Foundation. Um. We're a very small organisation. We were set up in 2007. We do three things, Patricia. The main, our main business is lending money to community organisations, uh, local sports clubs, organisations that typically would mightn't get the money from the mainstream organisations. Mm. Um, so that, that's our main. And we've, we've probably lent about 160 million since we were set up wow. about 15 years ago. Yeah. And where do you where do you get your money from? Um, we get our money from the Irish banking industry. Um, and, and just to make the point that we get it at a very low interest rate, uh, in fairness to the banks, because if, if it came to us at a high interest rate, we'd have to go to the organisations at a high interest rate. So yeah. in, fairness, in fairness, it's one of the good things the banks do. So that's the, that's the first thing we do. And the second thing we do is we, we set up an organisation called Microfinance Ireland, which does the same for individuals who want to get themselves employed, self-employed. And again, who find it difficult to get the money from the mainstream organisations. So Microfinance Ireland will help them out with a, a, a small loan to get them up and running. And and the third leg of, of, of our organisation is, is what we're, we've just been talking about, where we use our sort of financial background and expertise to address societal problems, you know, that have a finance dimension. So illegal money lending falls into that, you know. Brilliant. You're a great organisation. Long may you continue. Uh, Brendan, in the meantime, thank you for that. I enjoyed our chat and thanks for joining us.
Good morning Thanks to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Brendan Whelan there, uh, Chief Executive of Social Finance Foundation. As I say, it's an organisation I wasn't aware of until we invited them uh, to talk to us about illegal money lenders. Please, please, if you're in the grips, try to get out of it. And if you're not in the grips, go nowhere near an illegal money lender because once they suck you in, it's just really, really hard uh, to get away from them. 0818 Just spotting some calls that are coming into John Paul popping up on the screen uh, here. John has been on and this is to do has anybody else noticed lately or of late I don't know how long ago John has started noticing this when you're buying milk you know there's the best before date on your milk is anybody else noticing if you're in a household that you don't drink a lot of milk that the milk is going off before the best before date John said they've noticed it in their household now they're obviously a a household wouldn't happen in my household we're big milk drinkers we go through a lot of of milk so it will be rare that you'd take a carton out of the fridge that uh, would be there for more than two days so so it wouldn't have any hope of going off even though it should last longer than two days I hear you cry but anyway he says what they're doing now is they're only buying milk by the litre because they were sick of getting rid of milk because it's going off he reckons it's going off much quicker of late has anybody else noticed that the only thing I will say to you John when you're and it's something that I do every single time I'm buying milk check the date when you're buying the milk because obviously all of the supermarkets and all of the shops they will put the milk that has the shorter date on it out the front you'll see me inside the supermarket buried deep in the fridge going into the back to get the dates that has you know maybe a, a five six maybe even seven days of a best before date on it so I'm wondering is that the problem um, I know certainly here in this building lots of teas and coffees are, are drank in this place and we get milk delivered probably uh, twice a week we have an ongoing problem that people open up too many of the cartons and then cartons are left out and they're not put back in the fridge and we are forever forever having to get get rid of milk because it, because it uh, goes off but that is purely down to the way people are opening cartons and and not putting them back after they're finished with them but I mean if you're opening a milk using it putting it back in the fridge it should certainly should last to at least the best before date anybody else noticing that because John is 0818103103 you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Now, Cork based author, musician, and children's entertainer Anthony Galvin is preparing to embark on one of the most ambitious expeditions ever undertaken by taking part in an attempt to reach the northern pole of inaccessibility. And to find out more, Anthony Galvin, who lives in Connor, uh, joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Anthony. Good morning. How are you? I, I'm, I'm very well. And can I just say, um, as an aside, I went down a rabbit hole on the internet reading up about you yesterday. You have led such an interesting life and there's so many different aspects of your life I could talk to you about. But I want yeah. to talk to you about this because this has got to be the most incredible adventure you have ever undertaken. Okay, is it true that this part of the globe has never been reached before by humans? That is true. Uh, Somebody tried to get there, but his measurements were wrong and he fell a bit short. And uh, there's rumours that a Russian submarine passed close by underneath the ice. But yes, nobody has reached the spot. That is true. Now, people have gone... 
people have gone to the North Pole, but that's a walk in the park because where you are trying to get to is 435 kilometres further than the North Pole. Okay, so... Uh, t- 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 more isolated, yes. T- t- take, me, take me back to the start of this. It is the a renowned explorer by the name of Jim McNeil, who I also ended up finding out a lot about uh, yesterday. Fascinating man. Fascinating, fascinating man. Tell yeah. me about Jim O'Neill and what Jim O'Neill is trying to do here. Uh, Jim is... Um, he's, his father's from Killarney, so he's, he's actually... An Irish citizen, even though he he was raised in 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 London, he's been a mountaineer and an explorer all of his adult life, and he has a particular fascination for the polar regions, and he has decided he wants to get to this last spot on the map that nobody has got to, and to make it more interesting, he's decided that this expedition will involve a team of people that he trains from scratch to be polar explorers. So he has his hardcore team that are real experts that know exactly what they're doing. And he's training 28 of us uh, to have the skills to tackle the extreme cold and the conditions on the, the polar sea. And us, uh, our, uh, the 28 people, we're going to be divided into teams of four. We're all going to be put in harnesses and we're going to be towing our sleighs the old-fashioned way across the ice. And we'll all do roughly 300 kilometres. And how did you get selected to be one of the 28? <laughs> By accident. I came across him on Facebook and he had a warrior selection weekend. And I was kind of feeling I haven't done anything. It was time to set a physical challenge for myself. So I said, I'll go on to Warrior Selection Weekend and see what it's like. It was brutally tough, but at the end of it, I emerged from it smiling and I thought, yeah, I like this. I like the man himself. I like his way of thinking. I said, I'll get involved. And that's that's how I got involved. Now, all my life, I've wanted to go to the polls and I've applied for so many expeditions and for various reasons, I got selected for one, but they, they ran out of funds and we never got on the ice. And there were always problems. And this time I set out with no intention of going to the pole and suddenly I'm on the trip, which is great. And and obviously when you talk about the polar regions, uh, the North Pole, you think of climate uh, change. There's been so much focus and attention on it. You'll be collecting data, I believe. To we do will it. be collecting yeah. data because I know myself, I've spent a lot of winters in, in the Arctic working at a Santa resort in Finland. And over the 20 two years that I've been going there, I've seen the snow line advance about 80 kilometres. So where you'd have snow in in November now, you still have green fields. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of on the, on the borderline between various climate zones. That's where you see the effects of climate change. Uh, there was a, a weather front that passed below Ireland that led to the Irish climate that's moving up into Ireland, leading to our mixed summers. It's on those transition areas that you see the effects of climate change. And we're going to an extreme area where measurements haven't been taken before. And those measurements will be given to scientists uh, in warm laboratories who can then crunch the numbers and make more accurate models of climate and weather and hopefully tell us how much damage has been done and how we can go about changing it. Yeah, yeah. I think better. I think that's going to be a really vital part of this particular expedition. How do you train, and what kind of training are you undertaking? Uh, uh, the training there's there's two aspects to the training. 
One is actually getting ready the core skills we need, and I've done a lot of that. I've done the camp craft, the first aid. Uh, we need to learn rope techniques in case we have to rescue someone from a crevasse. So we've done that training, and in January I'll be repeating that training in Spitsbergen, which is an island about 500 miles north of Norway, halfway between Norway and the Pole. And it's a very extreme environment. I'll be repeating the training there. The other aspect, of course, is getting physically fit enough and tough enough. Uh, they're a little different, fit and tough. You could get a marathon runner who, uh, when the going gets really tough, they're out of their comfort zone. We need a mental toughness as well. Mm. So for the next couple of months, you'll probably see me around the Galtys, trudging up Galti Bjog with a, a tyre strap behind me. Uh, to simulate a sled. So it's things like that that will help me get physically strong and tough enough. And then, for and then you the constantly work on the mental aspect of it, yes. getting mentally prepared. Part of your yes. training is self-defence against polar bears. Yes. <laughs> Tell me I about mean, that. They look so cute and cuddly until you get up close and they're seven foot tall. Uh, they're they're a natural predator. Uh, most animals will avoid humans. Polar bear, if it's hungry, we're just a snack. Now, the thing about that is uh, 80 years ago, you'd bring a gun with you and you'd shoot the polar bear. Uh, they're an endangered species, and the last thing we're going to do is shoot a polar bear. So we have been trained as a last resort. We've all been trained how to use a shotgun, how to use a rifle, and uh, <clears throat> we've done target practice. We have destroyed bags of flowers. <laughs> but there are strategies to discourage a polar bear we'll be using flares we'll be yeah, making frighten them away we are yeah. frighten them away yeah because yeah. the absolute last thing you want to do is harm a magnificent creature yeah, like that but but, but, at the but same obviously time, they're deadly. yeah that's one one i i assume one part of the trip to actually get up well, not get up close and personal but, but get, to count their numbers but to count their numbers yeah and just to and actually make sure see they one. are where they're meant yeah, to be yeah 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 and we are hoping that we see them uh, it might be going too far to say we hope we'll encounter them, but we certainly hope we'll see them. Yeah, yeah, and, <laughs> and the, in good numbers. Is the is the, is the cold going to be one of the toughest parts, Anthony? The cold will be very tough. Uh, the team that sets out on the first leg of the relay will be facing average temperatures of minus forty-four, and it will be dropping to minus sixty for them. Now, the final team near the pole itself if they're unlucky, could actually encounter temperatures above zero and could encounter meltwater. That's becoming common because of global warming. But it's that's the range you're talking about. And minus 44 is extremely tough yeah. to be out in. I've been out at minus 45 oh, in Lapland. As you do. And <laughs> it's not pleasant. No, no. And what do you know what part of the relay you're going to be on? Has that been decided that, yet? That will be decided in January. Okay. Uh, our fitness will be assessed and the, the the toughest and the people who can in, who can handle the cold most will do the early sections and there's there's different requirements for each section and it depends on what we're best suited for. When does the exhibition the expedition take place? Uh, it takes place in late February. We're saying late February. We're not going to be more specific than that because the weather determines a lot of these things. You could be ready to set out on Tuesday and a storm could set in and you don't go until the following Monday. But we're hoping late February and it'll take roughly three months.
it's incredible. And I, I can sense the excitement in your voice uh, about oh, it, Anthony. But, but but I take it you must wake in the middle of the night and there's got to be a level of nervousness about it as well. I think when you get involved in an expedition like this, and I can't speak for Jim, but I think there must be a certain stupid gene that's activated in the skull <laughs> because, no, I'm just looking forward to this. <laughs> it's incredible. Are there any other Irish on the team? Uh, no, no, I'm the only Irish person on the team. Right. What does that say about so you, Anthony? What, <laughs> what does that say well, about you? Think about the Irish men, Shackleton, Tom Crean. Yeah. You know, we've we've pulled above our. Yeah, we've we've been there. We've been there. And actually, I I discovered yesterday that uh, Sir Ernest uh, Shackleton, it was his last unfulfilled ambition. So you you're yes, you're walking in the steps of the great. You know, what I mean, somebody who really wanted uh, to do it, to to uh, to do it. Um, and and are you still working as a music musician and, and a children's entertainer? I am indeed. <laughs> Uh, it's great to be back after we all had a hiatus with COVID uh, but it's great to be back and it's great to see live entertainment back Uh, people are a little bit slow to come out and numbers are still a bit small uh, at events but people are beginning to get used to life being normal again and it's fantastic to see that isn't it Oh, it's brilliant. It is brilliant. Will you, you won't be able to bring do any of your magic tricks, will you, when you're, when you're I, up in the North Pole? I may, I may bring a puppet or two in the rucksack. Oh. <laughs> and, and, and I love the way you dropped in when you, when you worked for many years in the Santa Resort in Finland. And I had the great honour of going on one of those uh, day trips uh, to, to see Santa in Finland many years ago. One of the, one of, I, I still to this it's day think, oh, it's just it? fantastic. It, it's just it fantastic. Really do, yeah. I, I, are, you, I, how, are you still doing that or? Is that? I'm not doing that. The last two years, um, the, the, the company I worked with changed ownership, and they've just changed their their business model. And I'll probably be out again. But the last two or three years, I haven't been. Also, COVID kind of knocked yeah. me on the head for a year or two. Uh, but I hope to go back there again because it's an absolutely beautiful place. You've been there yourself. Yeah, it's, you, and what a joyous you know job. But what a joyous yes. job to be working there with it because the magic and the excitement in the children's eyes is something yes. I will never, ever forget. And actually, where does your love and obsession, dare I say, with the pol- polar regions, does that go back to childhood? Or It goes back to childhood. Uh, I remember there was a big snow around... 1982, I think, a huge snow. And uh, I, I got trapped. I was staying with uh, in the house of a cousin up on the Dublin Hills. And we got snowed in. We had to survive for a week on nothing but a bag of flour. We made the worst scones ever to survive. <laughs> <laughs> but I loved going out and playing in the snow. And I loved reading about Scott and Shackleton and their great adventures. And... It just grew from there, uh, a little bit of an obsession. I even wrote a book about the the search for the North Pole. And uh, it's always been there in my life, always been there in the background. And I think that's what drew me to going out to Lapland for 22 seasons. Uh, Just the love of snow and cold and that beautiful stillness you find in the Arctic and the northern lights dancing overhead at night. It's it's magnificent. Oh, you've painted a wonderful picture uh, for sure. Will you keep in contact with us and let us know how you get on? I'd, I'd I love, will indeed. I'd we'll love have a satellite phone. We might even ring you from the ice. Oh, I would love that. <laughs> I'd absolutely love that. Listen, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Anthony. Stay safe. Keep doing the training. Keep getting to your peak fitness 
and above all else look, mind yourself that's the most important Thanks, part Patricia. Thanks for joining us God bless uh, bye bye that is Anthony Galvin who is originally a County Clare man but he lives in Connor outside of Formoy on what is an incredible exp- expedition to the northern pole of inaccessibility to be honest I'd never even heard of it before we wish him luck You're listening to Cork Today on replay phone and text lines are currently closed Anna's been on to say Patricia can you or any of your listeners tell me when is the winter flu vaccine available uh, please now I've asked John Paul to send an email out to the HSC if they can confirm when are they going to start administering the flu vaccine I know I was in, I normally get, we get our flu vaccines at our chemist and I was in talking with the pharmacist, it's about two weeks ago and I actually said, are you starting the flu vaccine soon? And uh, she said that they're waiting on the HSC as to when, you know, the vaccines are going to arrive before that they're taking uh, bookings. So she said they didn't have any indication as to when. I mean, normally it's into, I think it's normally October it runs uh, from, but there's been so much talk about the flu this year based on the experience in Australia and this is what always happens with the flu they get their winter first so we look to see what type of a flu hits Australia and that's the same virus then that travels around the rest of the world as we go into our winters and they had an exceptionally bad flu season this year in Australia and because of that warning shots has gone out you know right across America and right across uh, Europe and making sure that when the flu vaccine is available that those that are in the at risk group that you go in and you get it so as I say we'll send an email off to the HSE in the meantime if there's anybody else listening a pharmacist a doctor somebody working in a doctor's practice have you been given any indication on when the flu vaccines uh, will be available because I imagine as soon as they are available there's going to be a rush based on that information from Australia of people wanting to get their flu jabs this year it's going to be more important than ever because they're also predicting we also know there'll be another wave of COVID and the danger is that you get a wave of COVID at the same time as a wave uh, a bad wave of seasonal flu and it's going to put our hospitals under huge pressure 0818 103 103 now a massive reaction to John who contacted us about milk and he was wondering was it just his household or was anybody else noticing that of late milk is just not staying as fresh as it should be to the point that milk is going off even though the best before date uh, or the use by date on the milk carton says you know it should be okay say what's what's today's date the 24th that it should be good say up to the 26th and then when John goes to pour out the milk on the 24th two days before the used by date the milk has gone off and he's wondering you know what is going on huge amount of people uh, reacted to that let me give you just some of the texts and calls in Ellen says Patricia we buy own brand supermarket own brand milk find it is never never ever reaches the sell by date we've thrown away so many cartons of milk some of them are actually sour when opening them now Ellen if you get a carton of milk that's sour when opening it I'd be returning it immediately someone else says oh my god I have noticed two that the milk is going off before the use-by date. I thought my fridge was on the way out. I wonder, should you put milk on the door or should you put it on the shelf, ponders this uh, listener. And straight away, Nora was in with a text to say, you need to keep your, f- your milk at the back of the fridge, not on the door, as Nora has discovered. Back of the fridge is obviously the coldest part of the fridge. And then there was a flurry of calls into John Paul. Anthony says... 
tell John and others you can freeze uh, milk it'll last a fortnight or more and it's perfect to use to freeze the milk and then use it Michael in Skull says I oh, I buy the smallest carton of milk because as John was saying to you I noticed the very same thing milk is going off so disappointed the other day a few days before the expiry date on the carton of milk went to Michael and Skull went to make himself a lovely cup of coffee for his 11s made the coffee, poured the milk in and the milk curdled as soon as it went into the cup. He said he smelt it and it was fine but when he poured it in and that's what happens it's when it hits the hot, the boiling water isn't it, that it goes off. So Michael and Skull is noticing the very same thing. Tracy and Skibbereen says I've noticed this as well but I found I needed to turn my fridge up. I went up to notch number four. It had been between two and three. I felt with the warm weather we've been experiencing for the last month or so, particularly during the heat wave and the heat in the kitchen, I found, says Tracy, that the milk was going off. So I turned up the thermostat on the fridge and now the milk seems to be okay. That might be a solution for John or for others. Tracy also says that the kitchen windows are adjacent to the fridge so the sun shines in right on the top of the fridge and that's not helping. Nancy in Bantry says she's sick and tired of buying tomatoes. I buy them on a Friday and by Sunday they have a lovely green fur Ugh, on top of them. Anybody else noticing that tomatoes are not holding as long as they should? Uh, also bananas, they seem to go black in within a, a few days. See, I'm wondering, the fruit going off so quickly, is that to do with the warm weather that we've been experiencing? Like a lot of people are saying, certainly the warm, with the milk, it does seem to be down to the warm uh, weather. Is it the same with um, tomatoes? I buy a lot of tomatoes now. I, I can't say that I can agree with Nancy on that one I haven't noticed it again when you're purchasing the items you need really need to bring your A game you need to check the dates on everything to make sure that you're not picking you know if you go in I think it's when you go in in a rush and you're just picking up a few bits you might sort of fly in and out check the dates on everything and make sure that you got the longest best before or use by date when you're actually purchasing it Hi uh, Milk has a use by date I've also noticed as John said to you that it goes off very quickly I do not agree with getting rid of the use by dates as it will be impossible to choose the freshest food causing a lot more food to end up in our bins Now we did um, a piece about that we actually did an interview on that didn't we with Safe Food a couple of weeks ago What they're talking about doing it isn't the use by date it's the best before date they're talking some of the supermarkets have already done it they've taken away the best before date on fruit and for fruit and veg you go by the look of something whether you think it's okay to use it or not the use by date on dairy products like milk and cheese and meat and stuff that's very different they'll never ever get rid of the use by date it's the best before date they're talking about getting rid rid of and they're talking about getting rid rid of it to stop the amount of food that is uh, dumped Micah says one tip that I would give to John with his milk going off is to freeze it when he buys it and then thaw it out just before he needs to use it I can vouch for the fact that it lasts much longer also Maybe his fridge isn't high enough due to the recent extremely hot weather. Turn up the thermostat, John, says uh, Michael. And someone else says, yes, I buy an own brand supermarket milk. It can be gone off the the day before the carton states. And then lots and lots of other people saying the milk going off uh, is nothing to do with the milk itself. It is to do with the fact that you need to turn up your fridge. You turn up your fridge in the 
summer months and it doesn't have to be as high in the winter months when your home is uh, colder. 0818103103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862103103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Some events coming up for this weekend. Cantark Fire Brigade, they've got a family open day on Saturday. It's at the new station. You're invited to come along. They'll have a car cutting demonstration. You can have a walk around the new station, sit into a fire engine and meet the crew. There'll also be face painting and a chance to look around the ambulance and guard the cars. There will be a bucket collection on the day with all proceeds going to the community air ambulance. And Ballynoe Community Centre are hosting a GAA exhibition presented by Dennis O'Sullivan from Ballynoe. That's also on this Saturday from 11am to 4pm. Now admission to the event is free but official Marymount Hospice boxes will be uh, in, in place for any donation that you would like to give. And a family fun day sponsored by the Acts of Kindness page in Mallow will be held in the Arches Bar next Saturday from 12 noon to 5pm. You can enjoy music, children's entertainment and refreshments with a raffle and a draw taking place at half past three. Now all money raised are going to be divided between three causes, the Mallow Search and Rescue, Lachine's House on Suicide Prevention and for a young Mallow man, Cahal Horgan, who is fundraising for a prosthetic arm and actually we're going to be talking to Cahal in a couple of minutes on the programme. And the Chagas will hold an open day in Johnstown Castle on Tuesday of next week at 10am. The open day will demonstrate technologies and practices that can be adopted on farms to help maintain farm productivity and profitability while increasing overall environmental sustainability. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. And thanks to Joe in Kilmallock with a little bit of an update on the flu vaccine. He was in at his GP last week and like me asking my pharmacist a couple of weeks ago, he was asking his GP, when do I need to book in for my flu jab? The good people at Joe's GP practice uh, told him they reckon it's going to be the last week of September or else the start of October for this year's flu uh, vaccine. Um, they haven't got an official date yet, but they reckon last week in September are the first week in October. So we have a little bit of a wait left on that. Still, thank you for that. Still getting in uh, calls on milk and food going off. Somebody says, I find oranges, you know, the small, easy peelers, they go bad very uh, quickly. Food is dear enough at the moment, says this texter. You really don't want food to be going off and then you've got to put it in the bin and then you have to pay for it to be taken away. So yeah, you're absolutely uh, right. Trisha Blackpool says what she's noticed a lot of the times and she said, could this be one of the reasons why milk is uh, going off? You'll notice staff uh, are very busy inside in the supermarkets and they'll have big crates of milk sitting in the middle of the supermarket waiting to go into the fridge. As some of these crates, Trisha's noticed, can be standing out of the fridge for at least 15 to 20 minutes. Could that be a contributory factor? It could well indeed. And I think that's why it's important to check the dates on any of the milk that you are uh, that you are buying. And then here's somebody in the know from Kilworth says, Patricia, regarding milk going off, 
back in the day when farmers were going to the creamery with their milk in milk churns. August was always a difficult month to keep the milk fresh. Many a churn of milk was sent home. Why? Because it had gone sour. So it could have a lot to do with milk going off, could have a lot to do with it's to do with the time of the year. And when I mentioned to somebody that one of our listeners, Eileen, says that she has noticed that some of the own brand milks, that when she gets gets it home on opening it, the next day it's gone sour. And I said, well, if I opened a carton of milk and it was gone sour, back to the supermarket, you should go with it. Marie has contacted us to say that's not the thing to do. Hi, good afternoon, Marie. Hello, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. No point bringing a carton of milk back to the supermarket, you say? No point, um, Patricia, because once it leaves the supermarket, anything chilled, they have no more to do with it. And is it, it's just chilled items, is it? Chilled items, yeah. Chilled items, particularly chilled items. Because um, once they leave the shop, you see, they're out of their control from the point of view of being chilled. Yeah, and they have so no... So you get back yeah. to the 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 Evan Moores or whoever you got your milk from. Yeah. And they should be able to sort you out, you know? Yeah, and the theory is that the I buy my carton of milk in the supermarket, you're not to know if I've let that sitting in a car for eight well, hours. This is the thing. Yeah, is, okay. This is the All thing. Right. So if you get milk and it's gone off or anything out of the chill cabinet, Anything, anything. You contact the manufacturer. And I, yeah, I remember people coming back with pe- chunks of, of meat and everything. And they'd, they'd say, oh, this has gone off. But that, that piece of meat could have been in the boot of the car for yeah. half the day. Yeah, so, yeah. so you don't know. Yeah. Okay, I didn't realise that, but anyway, yeah. and and you worked you worked in a in a shop, did you? I worked in yeah. a shop. I worked in in a shop for um, in Fermoy, Patricia, okay. and this was the procedure in that particular shop, anyway. And I imagine it's probably the same because it I, makes I, sense. Look, it stands to reason. It does it does indeed? All right. Okay. And as I'm on, Patricia, yeah. is, could anybody have a solution for getting rid of sun cream getting on your clothes? I'm plagued with it. It will not wash out. It's, is it oil? Is it gone oily? I don't know what it's gone, but it's it just won't come out of the clothes when I wash them. And it's staining. Is, is there it's a staining? St- it is, is and it? it's staining parts of the car as well. Well, I I was just going to say if you are ever putting suntan lotion on uh-huh. on you, never put your hand on the car because anyone yeah, who valets a car will tell you it is impossible. Whatever is in sunscreen, it's impossible to get it off. A it's car. impossible to get it off. Just okay, but in, in clothes, I, I, I'm trying to think if uh, have I noticed that. And is it a particularly brand of sunscreen or have you used all different types? Any kind. I Any kind. Okay. Good and bad, you know, well, cheap and not cheap, we'd say, we'd put it that way. And staining your clothes. Staining my clothes. And, you know, you'd have plain coloured clothes particularly it will stand out a coloured garment you might get away with notice it as much yeah it would kind of blend in a little bit but um, it, it's I, I, it's awful but my son was telling me there recently they got he got a roll on um, sun cream in Aldi yeah and there are no nothing dripping off of it you just roll it on like you would do a roll on of any I've, I've, yeah, I've seen that roll on it's, it's a factor 50 it's a kids one isn't it it, well, he uses it for Quiva, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a seven-year-old. Yeah, but I think they use it themselves as well. If I'm not, and, oh yeah, I know, yeah, but it's, it's specifically for children because it's it's a factor fifty. It's a, it's a high factor. Oh, I, yeah, and yeah. the one you're using is the spray, is it? 
It's a cream. Cream. And you're rubbing it on and then it's when you put the clothes, sure, yeah. clothes against it. Yeah, yeah. I know you have to yeah. be really careful. Wash your hands immediately afterwards to stop it getting on anything. OK, but let's put it out there because you're obviously yeah. not, not on your own. Has anybody else managed to get sunscreen stains on the clothes? How do you get rid of it? All right. Yes. OK, listen, Thank thanks, you, Marie. Very much. Thanks a million. Uh, bye bye. 0818 uh, 103 103. And there was a text in earlier and I want to give a quick mention to it because I spotted something on the on the paper that might be, uh, well, it's very much tied in with it. It's uh, from Anne. It's actually the first text we received this morning. Sorry, I'm only getting to it now. Anne says, this country is the only country in Europe that we do not have storage for gas. Ireland is an absolute joke of a country, says Anne. It's going to be an absolute disgrace when the government forces power cuts on businesses and people in this country. It's unacceptable. When are we going to wake up and demand action, particularly on things like the cost of living? Um, Anne feels that people in this country are being taken for uh, fools. Now, uh, when you're talking about gas storage, and I'm, I'm, I brought this up yesterday, actually, on the programme uh, because there is to be a, or there was for the last 20 years, there has been proposal for gas storage in Kerry, but there's been lots and lots of objections to it. And actually in the Irish Independent today, the Thornish City of Varadkar seemingly privately told his par- party when he was visiting Cork last week that he supports building a liquefied natural gas terminal. They're called LNG terminals. Uh, and that obviously would ensure the security of the state's energy uh, supplies. There was a private meeting of Fine Gael members last week. Now, it, this will put him at odds with the Environment Minister and his coalition partner, Eamon Ryan, because Eamon Ryan strongly opposes the controversial Shannon liquefied natural gas project which there has been, as I say, this has been ongoing for about 20 years. It's in Turbot, or the planning was for it in Turbot in North Kerry. Now, admit concerns that the state's capacity to meet our energy demands this winter, Leo Varadkar, speaking to the members in Cork, um, said that having LNG storage capacity would be beneficial in terms of security supply. He argued that technological advances to avoid using natural gas are decades away and he warned that if something went wrong with the UK connector from which Ireland imports 75% of our natural gas, then there would be no way to get gas into this uh, country. Leo Varadkar said that while he opposed using liquid natu- liquefied natural gas terminals to import fracked gas, and that's the controversial drilling method that all environmentalists are against, he says there was a case for them to be used if it was only non-fracked gas was imported. He says if you think ahead 25 maybe 30 years he said we hopefully will not be using natural gas. We'll be using renewable energy including things like hydrogen and wind energy. Renewable electricity he says is great but he says it can only go so far even when the batteries are great. He says you can turn renewable energy into hydrogen gas which is the green gas that will replace natural gas. But he said, unfortunately, that's at least 25, it could be up to 30 years away. So he says, we're going to need natural gas in the meantime. And he thinks having this LNG storage uh, in that sense would be beneficial in terms of security uh, supply. Because, of course, we're also relying on the Carib gas field, which is going to run out. And we're relying on the UK uh, connector. And if something goes wrong, 
what's going to happen then. We'll have no gas in uh, this country. Now, obviously, Eamon Rhyme has directly intervened in that application to build that LNG plant on the Shannon estuary, telling on board Panola in his submission that it should not be permitted under any circumstances. Eamon Ryan's objection pointed to the programme for government, which states, we do not believe that it makes sense to develop liquefied natural gas import terminals importing fracked grass gas. Several ministers and TDs in Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael though have of late voiced their support for the building of this project in Turbot in North uh, Kerry so there definitely is a move away from everyone being against it but you know Eamon Ryan's point is that it's in the programme for government that we would not have a terminal that would be importing fracked gas. I think what Leo Varadkar has stated this week is let's have the terminal but just don't import fracked gas bring in natural gas and you know I think we have to now do anything that we can to ensure the security of the state's energy supply because none of us want to be faced with a winter where we'll be facing a a lot of power outages so you know I think they do have to now slightly look at things that they mightn't have considered in the past but until we can get the natural gas properly up and running and as Leo says 25-30 years away until then something has to be done to secure the state's energy supply. Oh 0818 we'll be hearing a lot more of this in the coming weeks for sure 0818 103 103 John Paul is taking your calls you can text you can whatsapp to 0862 103 103 Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie This is the Court today replay on C103 Now this week there has been a renewed social media interest in a GoFundMe page which was set up at the end of 2020 by a young Mallow man who was born without his right arm and it's to raise money for a bionic arm so that he can live independently. To find out more, uh, Cahal Harrigan uh, joins me. Good morning to Cahal. Uh, good afternoon, Patricia. And uh, you're very welcome to the programme. I suppose start at the beginning. Can you explain what happened to you and why you were born? It's without your lower right arm, isn't it? Yeah, so um, essentially what happened is while I was uh, being born, um, the placenta would have wrapped around uh, my arm while I was growing and then it would have cut off the blood supply to then prevent the right hand from going, growing, essentially. So, you, so you, this is the way you were born. You've grown up all your life without that section of your arm. Yes, correct. And what was that like growing up without your right arm? Uh, it it depends on the age. Like, so when I was when I was in primary school, I went to quite a, a small primary school, and I didn't really take much notice. But then, obviously, when you go into secondary school and you go from a school that has one twenty. 120 people in in the primary school as a whole and then you go into a secondary school and then that figure alone is in your year it obviously makes things um a a bit harder and it makes um you become more self-aware and more self-conscious yeah and it's at an age where you just want to blend in with everybody else you don't want to stand out as being different yeah probably that would that would be probably the correct way to put it. Did you, uh, did you wear a prosthetic arm at that stage, Carl? Uh, so, in in primary school, when I'd have been going there, like, you'd have obviously gone to primary school during um, 
the Celtic Tiger and things like that. So you know, funding for those prosthetics was never was never an issue. Um, like, and I did have these me- mechanical arms, um, which which were great and all. But the problem was between the first time you go for the interview, because there there was this process where you had to meet these like doctors, and they'd ask you like, oh, what do you need it for? What do you want it to do? And things like that. And the process is still the same, um, but this time obviously you have to pay for your own prosthetics. But from the first time you meet them, and then you might meet them again six weeks later, or eight weeks later, and then as a seven or an eight-year-old, your arm would have changed in size and mm. measurements because you're growing, obviously. And then, um, then by the time you get the prosthetic as in, in full, you only have it for a couple of months. Um, oh, because a... then you'd have outgrown it. So yeah. it was, it was always a complete waste of time getting prosthetics as a child, simply because you, the, the the growth that you'd. The yeah, you'd be having had. growth spurts all all the time. That they 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 nearly yeah. want to be changing them. You'd you know sooner have one, and they'd want to be working on the next one. But obviously, that's not the way this yeah. the, the, the the system works. So when did you discover? this bionic arm and, and I saw the video clip up on your uh, GoFundMe page I mean the, the video clip of it's an English gentleman showing how this yeah. bionic arm that's the type of arm you're talking about trying to trying to get yeah that, that would be what I'd be looking for um, how did you discover I, I that just, I, I was just on YouTube there one day and I said oh, I just look up uh, like prosthetic hands because in when I was when I was growing up as a child like it was always like really frustrating getting getting the prosthetic and then a couple of months later basically throwing it out because it wouldn't fit you anymore so i decided do you know what carl you're going to live your life as best you can until you stop growing i'm tw- i'm 23 now i'll be 24 in december so i think i've 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 reached my uh my the end of my growth spurt so um yeah i, I said a couple of years ago that i'd just check out how this whole thing works and then I came across this video I've spoken with um, prosthetic, prosthetic teams in Cork um, and they've they've been fantastic so that's kind of how I just came across the, the video as a whole so you're saying that the, the the prosthetic hand that that the, the one that you would need and like and would be of benefit to you can be actually made here in Cork yeah, so there, there's a team, there's there's a company who are originally based in Leeds, um, but they they'd have like comp- they'd have um, companies all over the all over the world in America and in Ireland and across Europe. So there's there's a company here called Otterbach. They're based in Cork, and uh, yeah, they'd be the, they'd be the team that I'd be getting in contact with. So you've got the company, you know that you know yeah. the type of arm that you need, and then the sting in the tail. How much would it cost? It's uh, fifty thousand euro, <sighs> which you don't have lying around. No, at all. I don't think yeah. many people do. No, no, neither do I. Do you, would you be able to get any of the funding from the HSA? Would they part funded even? I've I've tried I've tried that. Uh, it's been unsuccessful. I've I've gone down that road before because like I I'd have hoped that that was the way to do it initially, but then they came back and told me no, um, and then I said right, 
I guess it's saving myself and then probably relying on donations. So that's when you decided to um, set up the GoFundMe page. Uh, now, yeah. end of 2020, we're in the middle of a pandemic as well. I know, yeah. Talk about, talk, <laughs> talk about timing. Talk about timing. <laughs> Mightn't have been the best time. OK, then, no. <laughs> then there was this uh, amazing renewed interest thanks to a TikTok from uh, Stephen Murphy and his mammy. T- tell, us, yeah. tell, us, tell us about that and the story of how you met Steve. Right, so the, one day I was inside in uh, Dano Super Value and they have these like self-checkouts and there was one there was one available and he was with his mom. So I said, oh, you can go ahead. And then there was like this bit, there was this kind of like, no, you can go ahead. And then eventually I went and he, then he came up on, on my For You page on TikTok. So when on TikTok, you have like two types of pages, you have the people you're following and then there's the people that are like For You page. So then I said, I commented on one of his videos. I was like, did I, did I see you in Danos? And then he he said he said he did and he he followed me and I followed him back and then um he got in contact with me because he saw about the GoFundMe in my on my TikTok because I've been linked like if you go into my TikTok there's the link and that will take you straight through it and he said that he'd he'd give me a, a helping hand and uh, that if I would just to send him on a video and he'd try and hopefully help in any way he can and that went up. That video went up last Friday night. I checked. I checked before I came on the call today. I'd say since last Friday there's been nine thousand donations, which is <laughs> like mind blowing. It's just amazing. It's it's just it's fantastic, and it's it's a Murphy's Law on the, uh, TikTok. Yeah. And anyone that knows Steve and knows his mammy will know the fun that they have on TikTok. And she has the wooden spoon out and everything. And it's 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 really great. It's <laughs> it's it's just it's 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 terrific. Um. So now you are. Oh, just slightly over the halfway mark. Yeah, you're yeah, get you you're, you're getting close. We need to do the final push because the sooner you get the money in, the sooner the guys in the company in Cork can start making the bionic arm. And I'm assuming then there's obviously training involved. Is there call for you before you be able to yeah, use it? So, yeah. So he, what the doctor at the company said, oh, you also have to come for training. Now training can be for the arm that I'm getting can be like for four months it's an hour a week for four months so um, but it's just like practicing the force at which you grab something because obviously with with my left hand I know like how heavy something is or how light something is with the prosthetic hand you're basically guessing essentially so if I was to grab like a plastic cup and you know you, you can hold it lightly with your left hand but if I tried to grab it with my prosthetic well, chances are that I'd probably crush mm. the the cup because you don't know how much pressure. How much pressure? Absolutely, a simple thing like that. But yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah. And if it was a cup of hot coffee or tea, it could it could go all over you. So absolutely, I could see why uh, you would require um, uh, training. And what, Carl? What difference do you believe this bionic arm hand will will make to your life? Well, I th- I think. Initially, the whole the whole idea of getting the prosthetic hand was to like live more independently. So, even something like cutting certain types of foods, you know, like there be you could be eating in a place and then 
the cutlery like goes all over the place because you're trying to hold it with something that isn't really for holding you know and then there's other things that you need help with as well um and just like relying on like mom and dad and uh, like i'm 24 now and i know there's come a point in time where i'm like you know you don't want to have to always rely on mom and dad even though they'll always be there for you but even like a, a simple thing like tying shoelaces is 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 is, is that a non runner no no you no, can do I that don't, i don't actually struggle do you not shoelaces. no, no. Well done. Which one is, you, you kind of think if you broke your arm, how, how, how would you manage? But there are so many things that you, you're going to have to rely, or you have been relying on other people, that if you get this arm, you'll be able to do it yourself. Yeah. Okay, okay. It's, um, it's, it, it would change your life. It certainly would change your life. And you're working at the moment. I, I know you're on holidays. So you're taking time out to join some holidays. But where are you working? Uh, so I'm working in Shannon for a company called Wipro. And you're in a house share up there, is it? Yeah. You're home at the weekend for Mammy to do the washing? Yeah. <laughs> no, I do that. <laughs> Dear, well done, well done. You're a yeah. good lad. You're a good lad. Okay, we're going to share your um, GoFundMe page uh, and also on this uh, earlier that um, there's a special fundraising day going ahead on, on Saturday. I'm sure, Carl, um, I assume, Carl, you're aware of this and it's been sponsored by yeah. Act of Kindness. It's on in the arches. Will you, will you Will you be back? Will you be home from holidays? To, no, no I'm, you I'm, won't? Back, okay. I'm back Monday. You're back Monday. Stephen was talking to me about it and yeah. they'd be there. They're going to turn up, yeah, yeah uh, Stephen and, and his mammy and the, and the wooden spoon might, may, even, may even show up as well. They're going to be the celebrity guests um, on uh, in the arches but it's a family fun day out and uh, part of the proceeds will be going to uh, to Cahill and his fundraiser for the prosthetic arm uh, we wish you so much luck with this uh, Cahill and uh, we appreciate you taking time out from your holidays go back and enjoy the sunshine and enjoy your holidays and, and good luck with this alright lo- lovely well th- thanks Thank- for calling Patricia that's our pleasure thanks a million bye 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 that is uh, Cahill Horrigan from Mallow on his quest to raise he's halfway there 25 just a little over 25,000 of the 50,000 he needs to get this bionic arm and if you go on to his GoFundMe page you'll be able to see the exact type of bionic arm it's amazing it's just amazing how things have changed when it comes to uh, prosthetics and he's lived as he said 24 years of his life without having the use of his right hand wouldn't it be fantastic by just making a small donation you'll be doing your bit towards getting him the goal that he needs and if you can donate through his GoFundMe page please do if not if you're in around the arches on Saturday between 12 and 5 please pop along there to that family fun day and we wish him nothing but love and luck on this journey Lots of people uh, reacting to our listener who was on talking to us Marie who was on uh, talking about no point bringing back a milk to the supermarkets and then she asked about sunscreen and her clothes are destroyed this year lots of people are saying vanish on the bar of vanish soap rub that onto the stain it should get rid of it uh, somebody else says try soaking the clothes in a bucket of vanish for three to four days that should get rid of it that's going to take quite some time Nora says Patricia most sunscreens are oil based so you need something to break it down white vinegar will do the trick you don't need to soak the entire clothing item in the vinegar in case you're worried about the smell just the stain for a few 
few hours before washing it out in a high temperature. That would get rid of it. Someone else says bread soda mixed with vinegar. Uh, try that. It should work. And somebody else says try washing up liquid on your sun tan screen stain. That should get rid of it. So lots of people having the very, very same problem as uh, Marie uh, had, including Maureen in Limerick said well, our clothes are destroyed this year with suntan, particularly white vests are all orange and stained. That's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon talk tomorrow today, today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.